Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's a conference at the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health conference. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I really thank you for tuning in again, and I welcome you to go to outcomesrocket.health slash reviews, where you could rate and review today's podcast, because we have an outstanding contributor to healthcare. Her name is Dr. Sarika Agarwal. She is the Chief Medical Officer at Beth Israel Deaconess Care Organization, also known as BITCO. It's an accountable care organization There, she leads the organization's clinical vision. In this role, she provides medical oversight, expertise, and leadership to ensure that BITCO delivers high-quality healthcare services and innovative population health management and quality programs and tools to diverse physician and hospital networks. Now, she's got an amazing 20 years of experience in medicine. She's been across the different payers, consultancies. So she's got an amazing, diverse background. I'm so excited to have Dr. Agarwal on the podcast. Sarika, why don't you go ahead and uh, fill in the gaps of the introduction. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I guess as I was talking to you earlier, I have been very deliberate in my career choices. I learned very quickly when I was on the provider side. I started as a primary care doc um, really working on in my little world on uh, patient experience and excellence and quality and service of care, that there were pieces that were missing. And so I worked my way through the care sector where I learned a lot about the whole revenue cycle related to the claims, to building the premiums, to understanding how the different population health programs affect the utilization, moving on to consulting and working with the industry, working um, on population health platforms and building them for the EMRs, and then back to the provider side where I am now. The wonderful part of where I am now is BITCO is a very unique organization in that we have providers, both PCP and specialists, as well as um, hospitals. And we are all linked together contractually, but also financially. And this is really important because going forward, I think it is key that we remove silos from the care continuum. Really, the money should follow the patient. So I think it's important that the transformation is slow in a system like ours, 
But when it happens, it happens in a solid way and it happens in the way that it should. So um, I think that this has been a great journey and I think brought me to where I am now. Super insightful, Sarika. And you really called out an important fact is that there's definitely a lot of silos still. And so before we dive into the, what you believe the hot topic in medicine is today, why did you decide to get into the medical sector to begin with? So I don't know at any time in my life that I did not want to be a physician. And I guess that 30 years later, I am blessed that I am in this profession where I get to serve the community and I actually make a living. <laughs> so it. it <laughs> Uh, which is wonderful. But truly, I think being able to serve, but having evidence-based scientific, having a scientific background and being able to serve that way, I think it's a real gift. And I continue to want to serve. I used to be, it used to be with the individual when I was a primary care doc, and now it is serving the population. So it's just always been my dream and it continues to be. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. And there's no doubt from the tone in your voice that you're living your calling. So what would you say, Dr. Agarwal, is the hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys approaching it at Bitco? So I think that there's two key areas where there's a paradigm shift. The first is around the financial thinking and the second is around clinical care. And so the financial thinking has gone from, you know, good institutional financial management, speaking to bond rating and adequate margins, to uh, keeping the cost under inflation, to really where we are now, which is we want to be part of the solution. We need to be part of the solution to support the lower cost of care. So, you know, that's sort of the, the shift, I think. And all the payment reform, the alternative payment models come into that, that shift. And then the second piece is really the improvement beyond clinical care, as we used to think. There are enough models out there, including the Wisconsin model, the Robert Wood Johnson model, where we know that clinical care is only 20% of the problem in terms of health outcomes. And so really the thinking has gone beyond the traditional care to population health management where we are looking at service quality and total quality, the total cost of care, to really population health where we are addressing broader outcomes, where we are actually speaking to the well-being and the quality of the patient. So it's really that shift. And in this space, it is addressing all those other determinants of health, but it's also understanding the measurement piece, the quality measurement piece is going from where we were in the traditional quality measures, the HEDIS measures, to actual patient-reported outcomes. So I think those are the two pieces that are very important and where the shift has occurred. For sure. Now, I would love to zoom in a little bit further on this two-topic approach, one being financial, one being clinical. Can you give the listeners an example of how they should be looking at this or things that you and your organization have been doing to help with the transition? So I think the ACOs was started really to address the first piece, which is the shift in the financial thinking. They really work on supporting the lower cost 
care. And so that the, the pieces to that include the contractual pieces. It includes the total medical expense reduction, working with population health programs that really speak to those. And I mean a total cost of care reduction, not just a shift in care. So it means that uh, from a hospital standpoint, we increase the case mix index, we reduce avoidable utilizations. From an outpatient standpoint, we try and shift care. So for example, we have programs that take certain medical pharmacies, not just out of the hospitals, not just out of the outpatient facilities, not just out of the physician offices, but really default to home. We take some of the surgeries out of the hospital, out of the outpatient facility, into the outpatient facilities, out of the SNFs at home. So it's really addressing the total cost of care. From a contractual point of view, we're trying really to share risk in innovative ways with our different payers, both the government payers as well as the commercial payers. So we are working with most of our commercial, the large commercial payers in Massachusetts in upside downside risk contracts. We are in the Medicare Shared Savings Track 3 program, which is an upside downside risk program with a corridor uh, with CMS. And finally, we are, we began the Medicaid ACO um, March 1st, 2018, which is unique in really addressing the total cost of care and the quality of care in the Medicaid population in Massachusetts. From a clinical care point of view, again, we are going beyond the physician offices, really addressing clinical care where the patient is at, whether it be in the community setting, whether it be in the office setting, whether it be in the home setting, whether it be in the hospital setting, SNF, LDAC, et cetera. So really addressing how we can get to the patient and how they can get the care wherever they go. So if we are deciding that we are going to schedule the patient for, say, the hemoglobin A1C testing for diabetes, yes, they should get that done. That gap should be closed, whether they are in the urgent care, whether they're seen in the office, whether they're seen in the hospital, and so forth. Addressing all the health literacy disparity, social determinants of health is also key. And a large part of the work in the MassHealth ACO has been to really address this. There's been a lot of work going on from actually really monitoring the patient every time they come in, again, in multitude of settings, both BCP and specialty settings, to actually connecting the patients to resources. Some are self-directed resources. We have a bunch of links. Some are uh, human resources. We have navigators. So really addressing all the different pieces related to clinical care. And then the last piece related to the patient-reported outcomes, addressing their well-being and quality of life. We are now working with our commercial payers to really incorporate a lot of the prongs, as we call it, in our contracts. So really trying to address the quality of care versus the process measures, the traditional process measures that we used to do in the past. So that is a large part of the work that I am doing. Very insightful, uh, Dr. Agarwal. And it's a very methodical approach that is well distributed amongst just the finances and, and the way that clinically you're, you're addressing the problems, thinking through financial measures, thinking through 
population health and, and the social determinants of health. Can you give the listeners an example of some recent wins that you've experienced with uh, some of these approaches? We've had a lot of good work being done. One of the programs that we've had, so another focus of ours is really on the rising risk population. These are patients mm -hmm. that have chronic diseases and really have not gotten to the point where they have increased total cost of care. So they are the pre-high uh, utilizers. And so we actually have a pharmacy first program where we have a pharmacist led chronic disease management program in conjunction with health coaches, hmm. where a large of our work is medication management and adherence that the pharmacists do with recommendations to their providers. And then the second part of it is a boot camp approach by the health coaches. And I say boot camp because really um, addressing self-management can take, depending on where the patient is on their motivational scale, can take a long while. Yes. The boot camp is really what my goal is that every patient with chronic diseases such as diabetes, every patient should have a few self-management skills. They need to know what the signs and symptoms are, what the warning signs and symptoms are. They need to know what are the gaps and screenings related to their disease. And they need to know when they need to call the doctor and where they need to go. So there's a few things that I feel are basic, and these include the complications of the disease. So the boot camp approach is really ensuring that we reach a large population with these small goals. I think that's super exciting the way that you shaped the program and made a boot camp. And uh, have you gotten any feedback on, on how the program's working out? Yes, yeah, so we've got early outcomes. We've been very successful with the pharmacist. So it's really two pieces. The pharmacist part of it is we've had about 50% of the recommendations uh, that our pharmacists have made accepted by our physicians. And part of that, the part of the reason why some of the physicians have not accepted is because they're uncomfortable. Physicians, primary care physicians are at various levels on the scale of knowledge about a lot of the newer medications. So they prefer sending the patient to the consultant, which is fine by us as long as someone's made that, you know, taken that recommendation. So we've had very good outcomes, actual reductions in our hemoglobin A1C. And then the other piece, the health coach and the health coaching piece we've actually had a lot of good a lot of good feedback on that the piece about this program a lot of there's enough literature out there that says this is best done when it's face to face and i agree with that my goal is small with this program this is why my goal is not really transformation of patient behavior and habits it's really small and that goal i think is achievable by doing this telephonically. So we do plan to add a face-to-face -face component, a virtual component to this, and this is going to be sort of the next step for those patients who graduated from this. So we've done well. Outstanding. Now that's really great to hear. And the focus matters, you know, and I think as long as your folks are, are focused on it, the results will continue to filter through. And uh, I do have to ask, is there anything with the opioid epidemic that your organization is, is focused on as part of the improvement metrics? 
Yes, so that is a big focus uh, for us. So we've we've started to so we've developed you know so we again everything that we do there's there's sort of addressing things at the individual level and then addressing things at the population level trying to address the same problems in a different way. So at the individual level, there's been a lot of training and sort of toolkits that we've developed for our providers. I think Massachusetts has been ahead of the curve. We've gotten a lot of uh, policy change around the opioid use. So there's a lot of learning there. We've got opioid clinics for our providers to send their patients to chronic, the patients who are on chronic opioid use. And then the, the second part is, it is my belief that we really need two things to complement the opioid, pure opioid program. One is we need um, complementary behavioral health programs because behavioral health disorders and diseases are at the core of a lot of the opioid use. So we need to expand the scope of those. So we actually are building programs around that. And the second thing is there is a scarcity of providers that provide uh, medication-assisted treatment. So we have a whole training program for our emergency room and for our primary care providers to expand training as well as expand the knowledge base for the MAT. So we've got a lot of work that's going on. A lot of work going on over there. And it is definitely, and by the way, listeners, Sarika has a really cool story. Her <laughs> name means singer. And uh, her mother was a very well-known <laughs> singer, which I thought was really cool when I was getting schooled on how to say her name. And it's a beautiful name, Sarika. And it bypassed me, the singer piece. So, <laughs> <laughs> But your daughter is the good singer, isn't that right? Daughter is, thank, thank. that's great, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a blessing. And so, you know, we do what we do because we care. And oftentimes it doesn't go without bumpy roads. And so can you share with the listeners a setback or something that you learned that was difficult and what you're doing now as a result of it? One of the things that one of the programs that I wanted to begin was sort of a performance improvement facilitator program. And it's interesting that when I was medical director at UMass Health System, we developed this program. We actually hired, we developed a job description and we hired, and these were different from navigators in that these were non-clinical workers, but the idea was that they understood the both the cost utilization pieces of population health as well as the quality piece. And they were really able to bring that together and form and go to the provider practices and really share reports and help with um, practice redesign. So I wanted to reprise that role in here and what I what I found was we had existing folk who were part of the EMR optimization team. So I thought, I'm going to just take our existing folk and retrain them to become the PITs, as we call them. Yes. And so we developed an internal medical economics program you know, that spoke to the medical economics. We developed our quality pieces and sort of training around that and because I couldn't find the training. I couldn't find training around how do you read, read cost and utilization reports and how do you read quality and how do you connect the two. And essentially, the staff were not engaged to begin with. They went through the program and, you know, we were not very successful. And what I learned from that really was that I should have started off 
by even asking if they this was something that they wish to do. Because you know that being motivated is the first step in really in progressing towards actually execution. And they didn't have the competencies for this. So I think to a certain extent, they did understand, they were engaged, but they did not have the competency. And uh, this was certainly not a role that was right for them. Gotcha. And so we raised the role and we decided we would hire for this role. And since then we've done that and it's gone very well. That's yeah. a really great share, Dr. Agarwal. And kudos for you and your leadership to have just said, you know what? Okay, it didn't work this way. The takeaway is ask for feedback. How would you feel about doing a role like this and then moving forward? So it sounds like you, you did learn a lot from it and now you've implemented it and, it, and the program's working. Yep. That's great. Much better. So let's take the other side of the coin. Tell us a little bit about one of your proudest medical leadership experiences to date. So, I mean, the war is made of small victories. <laughs> so <laughs> there's been a lot of, lot of small, the small wins that get together to become a big win. And um, when I came to this organization, I was an outsider, you know, 50% of the organization or more than that were insiders. So every engagement with the physician, when they call you back, every time there's a very vocal discussion, it's a win. But I guess what stands out is, so when I did my master's in healthcare management a couple of years ago, we had, similar to business school, a capstone project. It was a practicum, they called it. And what I chose to do, I was at the, on the payer side, I was CMO of a health plan at the time. And what I found was that in our senior population, our health plan was across Massachusetts. So we had in this particular program of patients who were eligible for Medicare and Medicaid. So these were poor, frail elders, a lot of them disabled, who lived in the community and who did not have transportation, that the um, influenza vaccination rate was in the 30 plus percent. It was hmm. really low. And nationwide wasn't that great either. It was, you know, in the 40s. So what I decided that I would actually double it, I think I had to aim for 76 percent. Wow. And then in addition wow. to ensuring that was my process measure, I also wanted to see if we had fewer hospitalizations related to the process measure, which was doubling the vaccination rate. And so we did a whole program. It was actually very cool. Um, you know, the United Way, um, the bulb that you have where every donation, the bulb gets filled. We yes. sort of did a similar thing for each of our sites. We had four regional sites. We went and did these bulb breakfasts, we called them. We went, we got the staff, we did this whole program. The program was only between October and December because the, the flu season starts January, February. And we actually increased our vaccination rate above 80%. And even right. though the flu vaccine was not quite as effective that year, we actually reduced our inpatient and sniff utilization. So it was really, plus it was an amazingly fun event going out there and doing these bulk breakfasts. And then subsequently we started doing it for other things, for pneumococcal vaccinations and so forth. So it was, a, it was really wonderful to do that and you know, to sort of get that, to implement it in over a short period of time. Absolutely, yeah. And I can imagine you had a lot of fun out there with the breakfast and just having the conversation, you know, just like we're doing here, it's all about starting the conversation, answering the why and 
and just moving along with some action. Because at the end of the day, we all have to stand for something and do something. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that uh, you, Dr. Agarwal, are doing that and you continue to do that. Tell us a little bit about an exciting project or focus that you're working on today. So because we are a large network, we really have, we are across the Eastern Seaboard with eight hospitals and eight provider groups. And we have a lot of community hospitals and academic medical centers. So we're really trying to execute across this network has a lot of challenges, but a lot of opportunities. So what we the big piece that we are doing now is really uh, creating networks in the post-acute space. We're really this is for our Medicare shared savings. We we are working on the post-acute providers, and we are working on the home providers, the home agencies. We're working on the infusion providers, and it's been a wonderful journey because the providers themselves, um, the post-acute providers, have been very, very engaged. So we're using people process technology to do that. We are using, it's data directed. We have dashboards that we're giving them. The people are really our stakeholders, our hospitals and providers are giving us the first cut on who is important to them. We then use dashboards to narrow it down. We use CMS data to narrow it further down. And then we, we have process improvement plans for some of the providers who are not falling within the network so they can always have a chance to come back in. So it's been a very, um, and I, I didn't speak to, we also have technology involved in that. We're using tools to help with the communication and the referrals from our systems to our uh, post-acute providers. So there's a lot of work happening in that space. And I continue to think as the inpatient utilization exists for the really sick folk, and as we continue to have programs such as the SNF waiver program, where you can go directly from home to the SNF or to home, this piece is very important. Yeah, that's super interesting. And you're not only working inside of the walls, but outside of the walls of the hospital. And I think that's wonderful. Excited to see how your efforts turn out. I'm sure it'll be with success and happier, healthier people. So Sadika, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 of Dr. Sadika Agarwal. So we've got four questions, <laughs> lightning round style for you. And then we'll follow that with your favorite book and favorite podcast if you have one for the listeners. You ready? Yep. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? To focus on the value equation, which is really quality and patient experience divided by cost, the really cost-effective outcomes. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? To really ensure that you work on the entire care continuum and not to work on programs that just shift care. They should be actual reduction of avoidable care. So you cannot shift from inpatient to observation. You want to get these patients home. That's great. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite all the change? You continue to ensure that you have your true north in your focus and you have to be agile. So you're continuously pivoting, not in your mission and your focus, but in all the ways that you are working your program. What's one area of focus that should drive everything in a health organization? 
it has to be quality of service and quality of care. And finally, what book and what podcast as part of the syllabus would you recommend to the listeners? So um, there's two books. Can I give two? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You've given us so much value today. You can give two, Sarika. So there's one that I love. It's called Nudge. And it really speaks to choice architecture and default interventions and behavioral economics. And it's important. I use that in creating incentive programs. I use that in really creating data-directed physician engagement. So I think that that's a fabulous book. And the other one is called Drive by Daniel Pink. And that really speaks to where physicians are is really when you want to drive them, you don't use the third drive, which is you try to get them to self want to do these things. And that only happens if they get you know autonomy and, and if they have autonomy to decide what, when, where, and then you give them mastery, you give them the tools and the goals, clear set of goals. And this actually applies both to providers as well as to patients. You really need to give them autonomy and mastery because it's all about self-management. That's a great call out. And how about the podcast? Any podcast recommendations? So I'm trying to think, I think the standardized health score to improve outcomes, how to leverage technology to improve patient engagement. Engagement of both patient and providers is definitely my focus because I think you can, what is that thing they say? You take the horse to the water, but you got to make them drink. Yes. So all people, process, and technology doesn't would not lead to outcomes. So there's actual engagement in the process. Outstanding. Yeah, listeners, take these recommendations down. Or if you're driving, don't worry about it. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Sarika. It's S-A-R-I-K-A. And you're going to find all of the show notes, the transcript to our discussion, links to Dr. Agarwal's work, and as well as links to the books that she recommended. So this has been such a pleasure, Dr. Agarwal. There's no doubt you're doing amazing things. Stay strong, keep doing what you're doing. I'd love if you could just share one closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you or follow you. I think the closing thought would be that it's my mantra is really you passionately want to be, be a participant in this revolution and it is going forward, and you want to be part of the process. I love that call out. Be part of the process, listeners. Do not be passive. And if you're listening to this podcast, there's no doubt that you are. So again, just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Sarika, S-A-R-I-K-A, and you'll be able to find all the links and best places to get in touch with Dr. Agarwal. So without further ado, Dr. Agarwal, just want to say a big thank you from myself as well as all the listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. If you want the show notes, inspiration, transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash conference. That's outcomesrocket.health slash conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.